I think we can all agree that productizing your services is a hell of a great way to run a business, make better money, and live a more sustainable life. For me, it was the answer to years of chasing clients and just struggling to keep my branding projects profitable for my small agency. In fact, productizing my services completely turned my business around within just a couple of months. And I went from $40,000 in debt to $500,000 in sales in just 12 months because of it. And like any business model, there are constraints. Where are those constraints? And what value or opportunities might be left on the table when you productize? That is the topic we're going to cover today. You're listening to the No BS Agency Podcast. We talk strategies that can take your one to two person branding agency from $5,000 to $30,000 per month without hiring employees or working your ass off. All you have to do is cut the BS. I am Pia Silva. this episode was inspired by a podcast episode I heard recently about, you guessed it, productized services on the podcast, The Business of Authority. So I decided to invite the hosts of that podcast, Jonathan Stark and Rochelle Moulton, on the show to discuss. Jonathan teaches independent professionals how to make more money without working more hours. He is the author of Hourly Billing is Nuts. He hosts a second podcast called Ditching Hourly, and he writes a daily newsletter on pricing for independent professionals. Rochelle Moulton turns independent consultants into authorities. She earned her consulting stripes at two powerhouse consulting firms and turned around the failing consulting arm of a Fortune 500 company. She's built three professional firms from scratch. She's the author of The Authority Code, How to Position, Monetize, and Sell Your Expertise. And she has been called an emotional Red Bull, love that, for her balance of inspiration and practical advice. Selling based on value, building authority. You can see why I wanted these two on the show. Rochelle, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much, Peter. I'm so happy to have you here. You guys went around the world on productized services. I can see that you speak with a variety of clients. I speak specifically to one to two person branding agencies very small companies. And I make the case that productizing your services is the only way to go. So I thought we would just talk about the constraints of productized services and and maybe see where we might agree or disagree. And maybe just to kick it off and trigger something a little bit. I remember, Rochelle, you used the phrase road to mediocrity when you were talking about productized (laughs) services on that episode. So I thought we would start there. (laughs) How do you feel about productized services and where they may or may not lead to excellence in a service businesses products? I think I said the road to mediocrity when we were talking about how to deal with creative agencies. And we had this discussion about, I guess, a comment Blair Enns had made that productized services and creative don't go together. 
And I'll let Jonathan speak for himself, mm-hmm. but at least in that episode, we both agreed that, that that wasn't true, but we teased it out a little bit. And so my concern was if you're 100% creative and you're growing an agency with a lot of people, which by the way is not a one to two person agency unless that's your master plan, then it's really hard to get creatives excited about doing the same thing over and over again. But for your audience, I love productized services. I think it's a great path out of, you know, what Jonathan calls the trap of hourly billing into building an actual business and starting to think of yourself as a business owner versus purely a freelancer. Mm, Interesting. What do you think, Jonathan? Excellence or mediocrity? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it could be either. I, I don't think it actually correlates directly. And of course, there's pros and cons to everything. The for for folks like your audience, the number one thing is to get away from hourly billing. In my opinion, I'm sort of obsessed with that, so everything looks like that to me. But but to me, that's that's the big challenge. It's like if you sell an hour of your time, how long does it take to deliver that? It takes an hour. There's no way to optimize it. You can't unless you're doing something uncool like padding your hours or whatever the case may be, you're probably actually most people billing by the hour are probably eating hours because they feel like, oh, that shouldn't have taken so long. I shouldn't have tried. I can't charge for this. I should have known that or whatever. So it's a horrible business model. So the, the, the step away, there are a number of steps away from hourly billing, like different ways to get away from it. Productized services is one of them. It has pros and cons. Value pricing projects is another one. It has pros and cons. But for agencies that are of your size, Productized services is an amazing first step, at least, at least, if not the whole ball of wax. I, I guess I don't have to define what it is for the audience, but if, but the pros and cons I see for productized services, the pros are it makes it much, much, much easier to sell things. You, your sales, you basically don't have to do sales the way that you used to. If you, if you don't like writing proposals, you're going to love productized services because the proposal kind of turns into the sales page and people can just buy or not buy. Maybe you have to exchange an email or two about which one of these things should I do first, but it's not like a pitch. It's not like you're trying to convince someone or anything like that. So much, much easier in the sales cycle. Um, that's the, that is a huge thing. Then there's uh, another pro of productized services is that you can, you're giving fixed prices for whatever this thing is that you're going to deliver. So if you can do it better, quicker, it increases your profits. So you're off of that hourly, you're out of the hourly trap and you can actually increase your profits without having to raise your prices, although you can raise your prices also. The big downside of productized services I see is that you can leave money on the table. So that's what you get in exchange for not having to have a real long sales cycle. If someone comes along who would have paid you much more than your published price, then you kind of left that money on the table. You never really know that though. I mean, you can guess at it. You can worry about that if you want. But if you are really concerned with that, you just raise the price of the productized service and, you know, for the next client and the next client and the next client. And eventually you'll get to this point where you start to see the number of sales taper off. But you can you can increase it. I, I tell my students, increase it by 65% every time you sell one. Not after five times, like every time. And eventually you'll start to see demand fall off. And you're like, okay, maybe I'll back it up a little bit or leave it there and work on my marketing. So I feel like even the even the leaving money on the table thing is fixable. You know, you can find the you can find the point at which the the market will kind of bear your top price. 
And I guess the last con would be what Rochelle referred to, which especially for creatives, they feel like it's going to be this repetitive kind of boring existence. And uh, I don't, I don't, I can't even speak to that really because I'm an engineer type and I like, I love boring. I don't think it actually is boring and repetitive because you're still delivering a service. So you still have to interact with the client and it's different in the sense that all clients are different. You're just doing maybe running through a procedure that's the same every time, but you're still creating different work every time. But I mean, actually, Pia, you could speak to it better. You're in the space and you've got this repetitive thing. Like, does it get boring? I, I talk about this with creatives all the time because that's their number one concern. Oh, I don't want to specialize, pick a niche, do the same thing. I'll get so bored. And I tell them you're building expertise by repeating the same thing over and over again and getting better and better at it. And in our particular space in branding, Rochelle, you are in the branding space and branding each brand is its own living thing. We're just giving it a framework in which to develop and we're, we're keeping the same, the part that doesn't add value and doesn't matter, <laughs> right? In order to productize your services, you have to streamline how you do things. And one of the things we do is we use the same Squarespace template for every single client because it doesn't matter at all. It's the brand that's on it. It's the words. It's the design that that is the value. And I have to have real hard talks with creatives who think that they're supposed to change the template every time. I don't know why. Have you ever had that conversation with, I mean, do you speak to a lot of creatives, Rochelle? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And I, I, I actually felt that way a little bit myself when I first started with productized services, but then I felt kind of like you did this immediate relief because all you do is you perfect the process. But it's different every time because every client is different. There's never two brands. There's never two strategies that are exactly alike. And the fun is in the difference. The fun is not redesigning the template. The fun is in the people and figuring out exactly how you're going to help that situation, how you're going to move the needle, not the template. Exactly. And I, I also find, I don't know where... We were taught this, but I find a lot of creatives specifically feel like their value is in the birth of this new entire entity and every piece of it has to be new and built from scratch if they're going to charge based on value, which I'm going to come back to you in a second, Jonathan. I want to ask you a little bit more about that. When creatives start to charge more than they may feel comfortable with, they feel like they have to add all this other stuff in to make it worth it. And at least from my observation, that's what I've seen creatives do. Well, I feel like there's two things in there, though. And the one is the creative, you know, by definition is creating something new. But the other part, I think, is much more broad, which is a lot of us feel guilty if things are too easy. We get uncomfortable taking big chunks of money for something that feels natural and easy. So we overcomplicate it so that we feel comfortable charging more. Oh, that's such a good point. And isn't it ironic? Because as you get better at what you do, it should get easier and you should be able to charge more. And, <laughs> exactly. and yet we just get in this horrible, vicious cycle of feeling like, well, I have to make it harder for myself now. Maybe I have to, I don't know, change right. the template. Yeah, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of where value comes from. So when people, so first, imagine if you feel like you need to be, if something feels easy, then you can't charge for it. Then you're dooming yourself to a life of hard work. Like you're just always going to find ways to do it harder, the harder way. So if you imagine, like, I, I don't know exactly what 
tools your audience uses, you know, maybe, I don't know, Illustrator or whatever, whatever the cool newer version of that is. So you don't, you, you definitely don't change your computer on every project, right? You don't change from Mac to Windows every project. You don't change the main applications that you use, whatever they are, Photoshop, Illustrator or whatever. Can't, you know, who knows? So you don't change those every time, I'm sure. The framework that you would use to deliver your productized service is just another tool. The template that you use for Squarespace is just another tool. It doesn't make sense to change it every time. It'd be like a carpenter coming to work on your house and like every time he or she needs a different table saw. Like, oh, I've got the DeWalt right now, but I used that last time. That's not creative. That's boring. I'm going to get the craftsman table saw this time and throw away all your tools every time and get new tools every time. And then to get to your point about value, to justify how much I want to charge. I have to make this harder on myself so I feel okay charging higher and higher prices. But the fundamental misunderstanding here is that value is not created through labor. Value is something that exists in the mind of the buyer. And the thing that they're valuing is the transformation that you are contributing to. So they want something. When they're talking to you, they want something. And there's a number that you could throw at them that they would say, yeah, I'd pay that much for for this transformation. So maybe it's maybe their client. So like the one extension further than the listener, maybe the listener's client is an upstart outdoor lifestyle brand. And they want to start competing with the big brands. And they know that the, their current website or their current branding materials are just, they just look amateur. So they want to feel like they can compete with Patagonia or something. They, that's the feeling they want. And they will write a check to get that feeling. How you deliver that feeling is utterly immaterial to them. They don't care how hard it is for you. If you could wave a magic wand and it was there, they'd be happier than it, if it took six months of meetings. So the time that you put into it and the work that you put into it and all the labor and, oh, it was so hard to do this and whatever the case, you don't understand how hard it is to do this. You know, all these, all these um, educating the client things about how hard your job is so that you can justify higher fees is completely misguided. They don't care how hard your job is. They just want to be able to compete with Patagonia. They want to look at their website and all their other marketing materials and be like, yeah, this is pro. Like we're, we're real. This is real. And if you can give them that feeling in a weekend, instead of taking six months, they'll pay just as much, if not more. But this is, I recognize that as I'm saying this, it's a giant mind shift and that people are just like, no, he's wrong. But like, let it sink in. Think about it. Think about yourself as a buyer. Do you care how long it took to make that Starbucks coffee that you're drinking right now? Do you care how long it took? I mean, maybe a little bit, but you're not really thinking about that when you decide to fork over five bucks for a venti pike place. It's worth five bucks or it's not. It, you're not doing this calculation of like, how much did the water cost? How much did it cost to keep the lights on in the store? How much did it cost to get the beans here? How much did it cost to pay the barista? You're not doing that calculation. So just remember that when you're talking to a buyer, they're not doing that calculation either. They don't want to know how hard your job is. They don't want to know all the little details of your work. They just want the transformation. And that's the thing you price, the transformation. Jonathan, that's like a commercial for the model that I'm selling to teach everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. And in fact, they don't want it to take six months. It is more valuable if they get it next week than if they get it six months from now. Yet it, it's so obvious when you are th putting yourself in the shoes of the client. Why do you think creatives are so all people, I would assume it's not just creatives because yeah. Jonathan, you don't work with just creatives. Why are, why don't we get this? What, what's wrong with all of us walking around assuming the opposite? I mean, it goes back to Marx, <laughs> labor theory of value, 
Benjamin Franklin, you know, an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. It's, it, it kind of, I think at the time, those sorts of things when the, you know, the state owned the means of production and so forth, there is an argument to be made about labor creating the value, but that is not the world we're operating in now. You know, everyone's got the means of production now. It's a laptop. You know, if, if you're creative, it's, the, we're in a different kind of economy now. And more than ever, the value is created in the buyer. It's a feeling created in the buyer of like, yes, this is the feeling I was going for. I want to feel proud of my website or I want to feel like I can compete with Patagonia or I want to feel like my marketing materials or my pitch deck is good enough that I can stand up in front of a VC and ask for a billion dollars. Like they want this feeling that the whatever it is that you're providing, it has transformed them from the way they were to the way they want to be. So if you're not doing productized services, and if you're doing value pricing for projects, really swinging for the fence and trying to like land big six-figure deals, seven-figure deals potentially, if you want to do that, you need to understand exactly what that transformation is. And I have a whole, you know, the why conversation that people can do. It's a series of questions that you ask to uncover that transformation that they're looking for. And then you price that. And then you say, okay, if this is worth a million dollars to you, let's say for a year, let's just, let's stick with a million because the numbers are round, but adjust up or down to a hundred thousand or 10,000 or whatever. But if it's worth a million, I can definitely charge them a hundred thousand. If I and they believe that I can contribute to a million dollar transformation in their business, this is a no brainer. It doesn't matter how long it takes me to do it unless it's going to take me so long that I don't want to do it for a hundred thousand dollars. So then I could say, ah, no, I don't want to do it or set the price higher or something. But it, it all comes from how much the desired transformation is worth to the client and figuring that out up front. But I want to add to that because the, the, the front end of your question is, you know, why is this so hard? And I think it's because we all get stuck in our own heads. We think that our experience with our thing is the same as everybody. And we're doing it entirely from our own perspective. And this, the subtle shift, which is, can be mind blowing is stop it <laughs> is start to think about your client first and ask those questions. So you understand where they're coming from. And if all else fails, go hire somebody to do something for you and experience it as a client, like whether that's a, uh, a bookkeeper or an accountant or I don't know, I guess it wouldn't be it probably wouldn't be graphic design, but it might be for your audience. Find somebody and go through that hiring process and pay really close attention to what it's like being on the other side. Oh, I can't hire people who charge hourly. And I've actually <laughs> productized people's services for them in a sales conversation. And then hot. I said, look, this is what I need you to do. And I'm going to pay this for it. <laughs> and I've paid yes. people more than they've even asked for because I'm like, you're not charging enough. Do this. I'll pay that. And they're like, oh, OK. Like yeah. that's the only way I can buy it because it's so hard the other way. That's such a good point. Well, and it makes you nuts. It, I mean, I it think I saw something on your website, Pia, about your hiring somebody who charged by the hour, and it made you crazy because they spent all this time on something that you didn't care about. And and I know for myself, I'd be sitting there and go tick 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 in my head. You know, you're paying for this, and it's of no value at all. Or when we'd have conversations, and they would start telling me about their weekend. And I'm like, I'm not a chit chatter to begin with. And I definitely don't want to pay for you to chit chat with me. <laughs> yeah, it creates an awful dynamic with your clients. I mean, not not yes. that we're here to talk about. Well, I guess I mean, it in is. a sense, this yeah. is about hourly billing, because this productized services is the alternative. 
and hourly billing creates a horrible dynamic and Rochelle is a hundred percent correct. If you, if you don't believe this, go hire someone by the hour, see how you feel. I mean, we've had, if you have a house or have ever had like people come in, you know, like my most recent big repair was having the roof on the garage redone, a tree fell on it and it was time to get it done anyway. And you know, though they said, I didn't care. I just tell me the price, like how much is it going to be? And then I can make a buying decision if, and they did give me a price. It's like whatever X thousand dollars. But if they were like, well, it's going to be, let's say $65 an hour for this guy and $15 an hour for these three people. And we're going to have to bring a chainsaw and we're going to have to bring this and that. And there's gonna be this many shingles and they cost 10 cents each. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I just want to know how much is it going to cost me? And if you are giving people an estimate of how much it's going to cost you and you regularly go over, you are obvious. That's obviously not good for the relationship. The, the client, if you said, ah, oh, this will be about $10,000 or this will be about a thousand dollars and you go way down a rabbit hole, you iterate 10 times on the design. You thought you were only going to iterate twice and you know, well, I got to, I put the time in, I have to charge them for it. And it's actually $3,000. You told me it was going to be a thousand. I, I told you that was an estimate. I didn't know how much it was going to be. So like, that is not a good relationship. Put yourself in the client's shoes. You basically just stole $2,000 from them as far as they're concerned. That was not the deal. So you, it's, it's a terrible way to do business for everybody involved. Well, so Jonathan, I, I need you to clarify something because mm-hmm. yes, some people listening still charge hourly or maybe they have a project rate, but then they have hourly for additional edits or, you know, some sort of mishmash of the two. But you made a distinction between value-based pricing versus productized services. And I have a question for you, Rochelle, about that as it relates to branding. But first, I just want, Jonathan, can you explain the difference? So they're both fixed prices. So Mm -hmm. they're prices that you would give someone before they buy. And it's the price. It's not like an estimate. It is how much you're going to charge. If it takes you longer, that's your problem. You know, and then there's a financial incentive for you to get better at not taking longer. So the project when when a big project that you're going to use value pricing on is one that you would write a proposal for so it's something unusual it's custom there's uh you're in the business of you want to do big projects you don't want to do smaller productized services you can do both but let's just say you know yes i am going to be in the business part of my sales procedure is going to be writing proposals for clients so they come to me They've got this need that doesn't fit into one of my productized services. It's big. They've got this big transformation they want. They believe I'm the one that can contribute to it. So let's talk and uncover the fundamental underlying reason why they want to do this, what that might be worth, and then set three prices that are fractions of what that value might be, and then come up with what you can do within each one of those budgets and then present that proposal. So every time you do one of these things, it's not really worth doing unless they're significant, like a large size project, because it's a lot of work to write proposals. So you, if you want to do big, big projects like that, then that is one approach. And every time you write another proposal or every time you propose for one of these projects, it's like, it's just a one-time thing. You talk to the client, you got a really good idea, the best possible idea you can get of what this particular thing is worth to them. You put some prices against it. And you created a scope that would fit inside of those prices. It's not usually repeatable. Like you can't take that proposal usually and give it to someone else after Mm -hmm. that because they're going to have a different value. They don't have the same needs. So that's value pricing in a very short, I mean, there are entire books on it, but that's a short nutshell. The fixed pricing, productized services, you could just pick a number out of thin air if you want. 
So usually, in fact, usually when I'm, I've got someone who's just really stuck in the hourly trap, I'm like, look, let's just put a couple of productized services, the most basic ones on your website. And I would say, describe to me what the, well, I could describe to them, but we would decide what would be entailed work-wise, cost-wise for them. And just be like, okay, what's the, what's the lowest amount of money you would accept to do this scope of work for some client? And they say, eh, I'd do it for, I, I would, and they say, I don't know. And I'll say, would you do it for a thousand dollars? And they say, no way. Would you do it for $10,000? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. What about $5,000? And they're like, yeah, I'd probably do it for about 5,000. So we're not talking to the client. We're not pricing anybody. We're just coming up with a, a price that the person would be willing to do it lower than that. They would walk away. And then I say, okay, now double it. <laughs> so if you'd walk away at 5,000, then charge $10,000 for the thing. Or if you'd walk away for 500, like I wouldn't do it for a penny less than 500, then put it on your website for a thousand. And if somebody buys it, you didn't value price them. It's not based on value. When you, when you created the price, you based it on cost, your cost. But when they buy it, when anybody ever buys anything, they're buying it based on what they think it will be worth to them, which is the value. So the, the challenge that you would have once you put this thing on your, you know, whatever, a strategy phone call or a branding phone call for 90 minutes for a thousand dollars, then when someone buys it, the challenge or the first challenge is to make it seem worth it in your marketing or whatever you do in, in general, not individual sales calls, but in general, what do you do that would make someone think what, what is this? productized service going to unlock for me that's worth more than a thousand dollars so you need to answer that question in your sales materials but then once you do answer that question in your sales materials or your, your website let's just say you just need to reach those sorts of people and they'll buy it so it's not value based when you set the price they buy it on value everybody buys everything on value but it's that's the difference between the two they're both fixed one's based on value one's based on cost oh my gosh you said so many interesting things that i want to respond to i what you're making me realize is that what I'm teaching is a little bit of both, actually. It's almost like the combination of the two. When you said writing a proposal and it's a very thoughtful proposal, it's very specific to them. So what we teach is that you sell that first strategy call, your, that thousand dollar mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. and that is that proposal. It's a very detailed, in-depth strategy, exactly how you explained it, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm under really understanding who you are and what you need, and I'm figuring out what that plan looks like. And then I'm telling you which package of mine fits into it. Mm -hmm. But actually those packages are pretty fluid. So I teach people, you should have a small, medium and large package, but what the details of what's inside are pretty vague because it should be specific to whatever that client needs. Now they are generally the same because you are working with a very specific kind of client. So your projects are generally gonna have a lot of the same stuff, but within that there might be a lot of specifics that are different but I want you to get paid to figure what those out, what those mm -hmm. are so that you can charge based on pricing. Yes, I could see how you could argue that you're leaving money on the table. I think maybe for the small businesses that I speak to, what I'm trying to teach them to do is, look, as long as it's smaller than your medium package price in terms of labor, it's everything else is profit. So your job is to just keep raising the price to keep increasing your profitability, but it's not that you're increasing the project. The project is probably just staying the same and getting more valuable because you're getting more valuable. So right. it's a little bit of both, but I have people who have sold $100,000 package priced services sure. like this. So I think it can get pretty high. Yeah. When I work with a coaching person, I'll say like, let's put 
one or two basic productized services on your site, one of them is that. One of, one of them's a call and one of them's a roadmap, which is basically what you're saying. Yes. So in the software space, normally I work with software people. It's like a roadmap. It's, it's, it'd be like a system architecture, like stack choices and all these technical things. And, and in that process, you would uncover a whole bunch of really information, uh, useful information to then price an implementation project. Which would be like you're saying, it'd be a small, medium and large thing. The scope would be different every time, but you got paid to figure out what the scope was. I think a critical thing with with that piece, though, that people don't tend to understand inherently is sellers, people who we're talking to. The roadmap piece is inherently valuable to the client, to, to certain clients. That clarity that they get at the end of it is worth something to them. So like I have one student who is a software developer and he works with like VP of sales and fortune 500 companies who have an idea for a SaaS, but they're totally not technical. They know all the sales stuff. They know all the customers. They've got people who want to pay for it right now, but they just don't even know where to start. So he sells a blueprint of what it would look like. It's almost like a pitch deck, but with more, more like user journey type stuff and wireframes. I don't know if you have these terms make sense, right? So it's at the end of that, there is value right then, even before they build the thing, or maybe they decide not to build the thing. But now they've got this thing where now it's out of their head and now it's down on paper. They can show it to investors. They can show it to prospective clients. It, it's a tool that they can use, or they could show it to a cheaper developer than my student and have them build it, which he actually recommends. He's like, you shouldn't have me build it. I'm super expensive. Go have someone else build it. But the client, and you probably know this from your experience, the client doesn't want to go to anybody else now because they trust you because you did such a good job. Yeah. But it it does have value. It's portable. They could take it somewhere else. That's exactly how we position it. And I and it's actually that's another thing that creatives specifically have a hard time getting their head around because they have a hard time seeing that value because it's often obvious to it's too obvious to them yeah. so to our conversation before it's like well i'm just i'm just telling you what your brand should be it's all pretty <laughs> much right there it's like no this is blowing people's minds <laughs> right. and it's important to really understand that they're going to get value out of this conversation and this paid proposal quote paid proposal mm -hmm. that's not what it really is it's, a, it's it is a proposal but it's like much more thoughtful because you went down this uh deeper conversation with them but understanding and believing in that value is key to selling it or else yes. they're not, they're not you're not going to be able to translate that value to them that's such a good point and when you were talking about the idea of it sounded like you you are looking at productized services as there's like a cap and that you might be leaving money on the table is that not i don't know if there's a cap i don't know if there's a cap i mean i'm sure there is at some point but that's not it, whatever price you post it at because for me a productized service is a fixed scope service that you offer at a published price on your website right. and it's not that there's a cap to what that published price could be necessarily it's just that if someone buys it there's there's some number of customers would have paid a lot more that's all Hey guys, I wanted to jump in here really quickly and ask you for a big favor. If you love this podcast, if you love this episode, I would be grateful if you would share it with a friend who would benefit or better yet on Instagram in your stories and tag me at Pia Loves Your Biz. It really is the best way for others to find out about the show and I thank you in advance for your help. All right, back to the episode. I wanted to talk to you, Rochelle, about how you bring authority into this, because to me, at least in our space, and I would assume in a lot of other spaces too, being able to raise that price 
continually, maybe forever, is really comes, that's when the authority piece comes in. So I felt like, and this may have been in my head, I'll admit, may have been in my head, I felt like I kind of hit a price ceiling on my productized service until my authority really started ramping up. And then Mm -hmm. I just started adding, you know, it's just me and Steve doing these projects. I started adding $5,000 at a time to the price because I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter, you know, and and I don't really need to scope this out. Whatever I want to charge, that's what you're going to pay because it's me now. It's not just you're looking for a brand. It's like you want me to do it. And that's a totally different thing. So Rochelle, how do you see authority playing into this and well, maybe the way to, a way to think about it is I used to think that authority was all about putting out your expertise publicly so people would hire you or buy your stuff, right? That's what we wanted. But what I realized over the course of a number of years with this is that authority is really about value creation. It's about being able to work the way you want to, which is value for you, right? I'm not talking about money now, but you can work the way you want. You work with the people who you really want to, the people you care most about, and you can charge based on the value you create. And what that does, I mean, you could certainly stick to productized services and keep raising your price, or you could link your prices to value. But the point is that you have options to do that. And on top of that, there's another level of value, which is the value you're creating inside your business. So if your business is, is if you're thinking about your business as something that is a saleable asset at some point in the future, if you've built authority for yourself in that business, you can take the value of that business from a couple of figures, <laughs> five figures, six figures, seven figures, and more. So it's really, authority really is about value. It isn't just this idea that, oh, people will know my name. It's about you've got so many more options on how you can create value, not just for your clients, but for yourself. I love that repositioning of it. Yes, I usually am thinking about it in terms of the outward piece and speaking to others. You said something interesting. The idea of maybe there's a limit to or there's a there's a time when getting rid of the productized service might make sense based on building authority. Do you feel like there's an a point at which your authority has hit a certain level where now value-based pricing on a totally different level might be more possible? Or am I just reading into it? The idea that y- productized services make a small business really easy to run, streamlined, it's easy to sell, it's easy to talk about, it's easy to talk about who it's for. But at a certain point, if you have enough authority, maybe it's a constraint. I'm not sure that it's a constraint. I think, I think about the path that, that a lot of us take through this process. And if you've built productized services and you've built a successful business on that, to then switch to value, and we're talking about a one or two person firm, it really changes how you work. Because you're doing more one-to-one, you might have fewer projects with a a much higher price tag, you might decide you don't want to work that way, that the the productized service route works better for you. So I don't think that one or the other is the holy grail. To Jonathan's point, when you value price, if you can get enough of those, right, and it's fewer than productized services, you're going to take a lot more of the money on the table. 
But I think it also depends on how you want to grow your business. So let me give you the flip side. There's a number of people that I work with who they don't do productized services until much later in their career. They're used to doing that one-to-one high-end, maybe as part of a bigger firm that already had some authority. And then they go out on their own and they're trying to replicate the model that they knew. And so there's a lot of different ways to get there, but I don't think there are inherent limits about productized services. I think they can teach you, if you don't already know, how to get move up that value chain, but you don't have to go there. You might decide to just add people and do productized services with more people. There's a lot of different ways to leverage your expertise and authority. That's such a good point. And that's actually when we have really honed this model, right? We're building entire brands in a couple of days with clients. I think you guys mentioned this in the in the episode. We build the brands ahead of time. We're not showing up and doing these brands when the clients uh, show up at 10 a.m. That would be a complete that would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and that would also not be delivering the kind of value that we're selling. So, no, we we build the entire thing ahead of time. But once we kind of hone this process, I had a lot of business coaches tell me, well, now you should just be hiring teams of two and selling these all over the place and just have other people do them. And that's how you should scale. And never for a second did I even consider that because for me, the lifestyle of just doing them and then being done with it and not having a team and putting all of that money in my pocket and it's me and my husband. So it's our little lifestyle business. I was like, I'm just going to push this price farther and farther and farther. And I hit a point where I felt like if I push it anymore, I'm going to be working with a different kind of client that I don't want to work with. So that kind of became a little bit of a ceiling for me because I started mm-hmm. to think, you know, we're most of our clients were charged we were charging them 30,000 for a 2-day and I felt like any higher than this and they're going to become these much bigger businesses that I don't really want to work with. But then I moved it to 40 and I got a great client. So I I don't <laughs> so I don't know if it's in my head. There must be, you know, I really like to look with like the one person consulting agencies, like one or two people. Those are ideal clients and I I can't figure out where that price ceiling is yet. Maybe you guys know. You guys are this is your jam. Well, a couple you raised a whole bunch of really cool points. So, first, when you start putting prices on your site, that's a giant shift from what people normally do. So especially hourly billers, people like, uh, they ask, what's your hourly rate? But that doesn't tell them the price. So they, you know, so it's always like this dance of like, well, when, when, can you give us a ballpark? Blah, blah, blah. So as soon as you put a price on your website, you're sending an extremely powerful, if not the most powerful marketing signal about the value that you can deliver. You know, of course, you can make up a price and put it on your site, but that would be a pretty bold thing to do if you're just randomly picking up million dollars and I'll do a brand shrink. And, you know, it's like it's an extremely bold move. And to your point, Pia, it is going to attract if the price as the price changes, it will probably attract different kinds of buyers. I mean, there was a point in my career, my previous career was a mobile consultant. I had a really popular book and that attracted fortune clients. And the budgets are automatically in the six figures. Like they're not talking to you if the budget's not in the six figures. But all, but you've also with that you get this huge bureaucracy. And I was like, no thanks, tired of that. So at a certain point, your prices will have this effect where if they get high enough, the only people for whom it makes sense to hire you are people that have large organizations because the downstream effect of what you do is going to have a magnified effect. So anyway, that was a long story about like yes, price changing the price might not stop attracting buyers. It might just attract different ones. So that was one thing. And then the other thing you were talking about was can productized services kind of like keep you stuck kind of? It was kind of like the question. 
I think that really depends on what it, that all boils down to what kind of business you want to make. So as your authority grows, what happens? You're going to be attract. There's going to be more awareness of you in the marketplace. You're going to be um, seen as different than the commodity versions of whatever you do. So you'll be meaningful, meaningfully different to the kinds of buyers that you want to work with, the ideal clients. So you're setting yourself apart. And once, you know, let's say a year, you said it was, you know, a very short time period where you switched over and dramatically increased from like in debt to like 500 grand. Once you get to that milestone, a milestone like that, where you're like, wow, I'm not, wow, geez, I'm not drowning anymore. I don't feel like I'm just working to, to keep up at that point. I usually do it annually. I decide, well, what did I like last year? What didn't I like? Are there certain products and services that I really love doing more than other ones? You can start to get picky, basically, because you're not wondering where your next bowl of Cheerios is coming from. And you can say, okay, I actually really like the one-on-one stuff. I'm going to double down on that. And the leverage I'm going to create is going to be by increasing the price so that I can... um, work with fewer people, but more deeply with them and still not, you know, and still maintain or grow my lifestyle business. Or you might say, you know, I'm getting so many leads that I can't, I never be able to help all of them one-on-one. Maybe I'll create a group thing, or maybe I'll write a book or a course or something. You've got a lot of, once you've got this kind of authority, expertise, brand, go-to person for a particular thing, the sky's kind of the limit. I mean, you can, you can do whatever you want at that point and you can get, you can decide to add headcount. You could decide to have a franchise model where you just teach the process and certify coaches. You could do a million things. And it really just boils down to the kind of business you want to grow. I do admit that a lot of people are like, now you can start hiring, but I'm not like that. I'm not, I don't want to be up nights worrying about somebody else's mortgage. Some some of us have done that. (laughs) <laughs> I created yeah. a, a leverage business with multiple people. At one point, I had 17 people, and I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's a lot of a <laughs> very specific kind of work, and you won't see me do that. But it goes back to, you know, what kind of business do you want to create? And authority, building authority gives you options. And that's what's so exciting about it, and it's actually why it's the third piece. I mean, that's how I found your podcast originally, probably last year or the year before, because I was starting to position my business as teaching just the authority building because I saw the huge potential. Because to your point, Jonathan, it's like you could do anything. I mean, that's exactly what we did. We made that 500,000 and then we just stopped working. And we were like, what do we want to do now? (laughs) (laughs) Money and time. I want to build a course. I want to write a book. I want to, you know, go get a Forbes column. Like I want to do this stuff and I have time and money to do it. That's what's exciting. I tend to talk to people who are so far from that, that sometimes I say that stuff and it kind of freaks them out. And they're like, I I really don't need all of, I really don't want or need all of that. Like I just, you know, because they just want to make a good living and enjoy what they're doing. And, and so can we all agree that the product as service model for small businesses, it's like, you should do that no matter what, even if you want to build a team and an agency. Cause I talk to people every day who are building their agency. They'll tell me they're, you know, they're budding agency. They're doing like 20 or $30,000 a month. They feel really good about that. And then I ask them, what their overhead is. And, you know, well, I've got five people working for me. (laughs) I remember a friend of mine who runs an agency, he said, you should be bringing in a minimum of at least like $200,000 extra. I don't remember exactly the number. Actually, you guys probably have a number for this. Like you should be generating at least 
X hundred thousand dollars extra per employee that you have for it to even make sense. And here are people with four employees, five employees bringing in $20,000 a month, not paying themselves. And I tell them, you got to get rid of everyone. You need to get super profitable. And then when you get to that place, that's a good time to hire. So what do you think about that as like, even no matter what your trajectory is, this is one of the best ways to build that small business first. Well, absolutely. And one of the reasons is sort of baked into what you described is a lot of people just start a business. They don't have processes. They don't really think about a template model. They just don't think about it. And if you do that and then you hire employees, it it just multiplies the problem. Whereas if you've got a system and you say, you know, this is what we're selling. This is who we're selling it to. This is how we deliver it. You've just solved 95% of the problems that most business owners of expertise businesses have. How did you, how did you do it with the 17 employees? What was the, what was the growth experience of that? Oh, it, well, (laughs) I mean, I did a few things right and I made plenty of mistakes, but the growth experience was we, we added one at a time. And when I said 17, uh, some of those were contractors. They weren't all employees, but we had circles. We had a tight circle of a half a dozen people that I cared about, watched over like a mother hen. We had a secondary circle that worked with us a lot. And we had a third circle that were very specific experts that worked with us sometimes. So I had, we had a specific model of how we acquired clients of the way that we did. And we, it was all proposal work then. There was no, there were no productized services then. How we did proposals, how we treated and interacted with clients, how we shared information. So we definitely had systems, but it was not as good a system had we done a productized service model that we could have created internally. We were very much, I wouldn't call us value pricing exactly, but we were very much on the custom end of the scale. And while we charged a lot, a part of our model was we charged significantly less than the other big guys in the space. So we were a relative bargain, but high end for what we did, if that makes sense. So had yeah. I had it all to do over again, I would have started with a productized service. Same here. Yeah. The, the, for people who are billing hourly and are just struggling to make ends meet, that are thinking the only way to grow is to hire a bunch of people. It's like, if you want to do that and you want to be a boss, productized service is the no brainer first step. Have something to sell. It's tangible. So it's, it's sold like a product, like a lamp, like the, the a buyer can come to your website and be like, Oh, you know, you kind of look, look at it, see what the features are, see what the benefits are, see what the price is. And you don't have to talk to them. They'll just like make a distinction. And then your job is to just drive people to that page that would say, wow, that's a great price for this. Like, that's perfect. Like take my money. So it is a no brainer for step one to get off the hamster wheel of trading time for money. So if you have this feast famine cycle where you're slammed for three months and then, you know, crickets in the whole summer, you're like, how are we going to pay the mortgage? Then this is a, a no brainer. You can work on it year round. You can work in, you can work on your business instead of constantly working on client work. And it just gives you this great little start. It's like the starter. It's, it's like you're finally operating like a business owner instead of a designer right? Instead of a freelancer, you're thinking like a business owner and it's, it can be this little project for you. It's fun. You design it, you know, you can use all of your great skills on your own thing. <laughs> and, you know, then, then we could have a whole different show about like how to drive people to that page and how to position it as an authority or have you have some kind of expertise or how to pick a niche, blah, blah, blah. 
but I think it's an absolute no-brainer for people that are billing hourly, like like for sure. Well, I think specifically for creatives, their their next question is just, yeah, but if I, you know, no matter what I productize the service, however I do it, it always is going to take longer because they don't really have a handle on their process and their time. So hand in hand to productizing your service is really like learning and building and owning a process. Because if you don't have the process, then it can go haywire and then you're yeah. going to lose, you're going to mm-hmm. end up because in the end, if you're selling a productized service or even you're selling based on value, if you are the sole person delivering it, there is an hourly rate, no matter what you can calculate it. Right. I mean, at a certain point, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, there's a this hourly rate that you can calculate backwards. And the goal of productizing services or value-based pricing when you're a very small business is to make that hourly rate a rate that you wouldn't actually want to tell somebody is your rate, right? <laughs> right? You right. want to, well, I'm, I'm actually making $3,000 an hour, but if I said that to you, you would never hire me because that sounds like a crazy amount to charge. Yeah. It's a great example. Like if you're listening and you could charge a thousand, even a thousand dollars an hour, what well, if somebody came to you and said, Oh, how, what's your hourly rate? And you said a thousand dollars an hour, they'd hang up the phone on you, right? If that's true, then you definitely should productize because you can definitely make $1,000 an hour effectively. Yes. Well, I think the other thing too is let's not forget is when you're productizing, you're selling one thing to one audience and it totally simplifies selling and marketing. So if somebody is kind of saying, I, you know, I just so uncomfortable selling myself in marketing, one thing hits in a box to one audience. It just simplifies so much, especially when you're starting out or if selling and marketing is not your jam. Such a good point. And even if selling and marketing is your jam, if you're a one or two person business, you only have so much time. You want this to be as simple as possible. They're already, even if you target your traffic and you target your marketing activities, you could still do them endlessly. It's like you can always do more when it comes to marketing. So it's a never ending game. So you want it to be clear and as simple as possible because business ain't easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you guys, thank you so much for coming on. Any, any parting words that you'd like to share with our audience? It's been so great getting to know you both. Rochelle, do you have anything you want our audience to know if they're thinking about productizing or they're, they're productized and they're not sure how to make it more effective or efficient? Well, I think the word is experiment. I think we tend to think, you know, once we put it up on our website, you know, it's there forever. Experiment. And whether that's experimenting with what's in the box, the price on the box, the packaging on the box, who you're marketing it to, how you're marketing it is experiment. And, you know, and let this thing that you're creating, give it a chance to breathe a little bit and test your assumptions. Because I think we tend to be less confident than we could be about the value of the productized service that we're putting out there for our specific audience. Love that. Jonathan, do you have any parting last words for our audience? Yeah, I would say be different. Like, don't be afraid to be different. Because if you look the same as all of your, all of the alternatives, all of your competitors, then the only thing the buyer is going to have to choose between, the only thing that's meaningful to them that they'll understand is like your hourly rate or probably not even a price. Probably most people aren't giving a price. So merely by having a productized service and having an actual price for a thing on your website is going to make you stand out from anybody else who's just saying, eh, I think it'll be about, you know, it's be about a hundred dollars an hour and it'll maybe be $3,000. So like, you know, I think 
evolution on an evolutionary time scale, it is a, our genetically, we don't want to stand out because that's how you get eaten by a saber toothed tiger, but you have to stand out now or you just won't attract any clients. So decide who you like, figure out what they want and they'll start delivering it. <laughs> My listeners can tell why I invited you both to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Their podcast together is The Business of Authority. Jonathan Stark's awesome book, Hourly Billing is Nuts. Go pick that up. Rochelle's book, The Authority Code. I'm excited to read that myself, Rochelle. Thank you both for joining me. And guys, go check out the episode so you can see what started this whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Pia. It was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to their brilliant books, Rochelle and Jonathan both have pages of all kinds of great freebies for you if you want to learn more about ditching the hourly billing, charging based on value, building your authority. I'm going to link to both of their websites in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with more no BS tips for your agency so you can find more profit, ease, and freedom. The No BS Agency podcast is produced by Yellow House Media. Coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Sean and Tara McMullen. Our theme music is Knock 'em Down by The Shrugs. 